0: Glad you guys are with us today. We are on week number five of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called The Vow, and uh, this series is all about learning how to thrive and how to come alive in our marriages and in our relationships, right? How to experience the kinds of marriages and relationships that God created us for and and uh, we're trying to keep it pretty practical as we go through this deal. We're talking about things like conflict, things like communication, dealing with differences. Next week, we will wrap up the series and talk about how to affair-proof your marriage. That'll be a fun one. Uh, you'll want to be here for that. Uh, but today, I want to talk about spiritual intimacy in marriage and about having a God-saturated and a God-focused uh, sort of marriage. I want to start out by just asking a quick question this morning just to kind of get, get us thinking, get us going in that direction. For those of us that are married or for those of you that uh, hope to be or plan to be married at some point, uh, how long would you expect your marriage to last? (laughs) Okay, till the end. Jump in here. How long would you expect? You think it would last? Till death do you part. Till death do you part. How long do you think that might be? Give me a guesstimate. Any day now. Any day now. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Yes. (laughs) But right, maybe depends depends on your age depends on your genes depends on all kinds of things but maybe 30 years from now maybe 40 years 50 years from now right it could be it could be some some of us might live to 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 celebrate 70 or 75 years of marriage if you have really good genes right if you have really I mean you get married pretty young you live for a really long time it could be that, that would that be a pretty long time It'd be crazy long, right? But hopefully all of us uh, are, are saying and answering and thinking in our heads, right, till death do us part, right, till the end of our lives, uh, that kind of thing. That's sort of God's design and God's plan for marriage. But my, my next question is, and then what? Right? So let's say you're married for 50, 60, 70, 75 years, and then what? What happens after that? Don't be shy. We die, okay, and then what? eternity right right e- eternity and and so suddenly uh, uh, my only point is i want us to think about marriage i want us to think about life on this earth i want us to think about relationships in the context of all eternity because for us, 50, 60, 70, 75 years of being married is like jaw-dropping long. It's an anomaly, especially for our society, right? For our culture. It's jaw-dropping. It's super cool. We should strive for it. We should look for it. We should celebrate it. But what I want us to get a glimpse of is is 50, 60, 70 years in in view of all eternity is a drop in the bucket. And what we're going to look at, what I'm going to talk about today is I want us to think about marriage I want us to think about relationship not just on its own not just focus here you know, on the here and now but in light of all of eternity okay Wayne uh, pastor and author Wayne Cordero talks about this I've, I've shared it before I love the the analogy the, the imagery but he says he says let me in order to get a proper perspective uh, of, of uh, life on this earth as compared to eternity. See, imagine I took a steel cable and I attached it to some sort of an arrow or a crossbow or something, and I shot it through the room, right? As far as it'll go, Out, it goes out through the building, out to the horizon. It keeps going forever in that direction. Let's say, say I take the other end and I attach it and I shoot it going in the opposite direction forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He said, that is sort of a glimpse of what eternity is like. It's like a, a steel cable that passes through this room that goes for eternity in both directions, right? Goes, keeps going and going and going and going. That's a snapshot of what how long eternity would be like. It's a, it's a, it's a good analogy. He said, now imagine, to, to contrast all of eternity with the amount of time that we will have here and now on this planet, he said, I would take out a ballpoint pen, I would take it and I would make a little... Uh, would that be vertical, I guess? Vertical scratch, a vert- vertical mark on this, uh, on this steel cable that's going for eternity in both directions. He said that would be about one thirty-second of an inch in, in width. He said that would represent about how long our life on earth is compared to eternity. Not very long. But he goes on to say this. But do you know what most of us do? He said, not only do we live on that scratch, but we love that scratch, he says. <laughs> we kiss the scratch, we save for the scratch, we hoard for the scratch, we live scratch lives, we have scratch businesses, have scratch families. They live for that scratch, that little pen mark, that little, that little blip out of eternity. We focus our lives around that scratch. He says, but God so loved the scratch, he said, that he sent his one and only son to die for those who live here. He said, but, but so many of us, are still hanging on to that little pen mark, that little 132nd of an inch. We try to elongate it and stretch it and extend it as much as possible. But even in the midst of our attempts, he says, we know somewhere deep in our souls, somewhere deep in our hearts, that there's got to be more than that. Friends, God's plan for marriage, his plan for relationships was not just to have marriages that focus on the scratch, right? On the next forty or fifty or sixty years together. But of course, God's design for marriage is that it would also prepare us for eternity. That would be that would be just the next step in our relationship with Jesus, leading us to all eternity. Here's my observation and my concern. It seems like we're people of extremes. I think. People are like that by nature. If you've ever been on Facebook, you've probably found this to be true. We tend to, tend to side on one side way over to the extreme over here, or we side completely over on the other side, and we, we shout bad things back and forth to each other and, and all that kind of stuff. We tend to be people of extremes. And when it comes to marriage, I think we're no different. We either tend to be on the one side where we treat marriage flippantly, right, and treat it treat as though it's no big deal, and we'll just kind of say, man, we, we think in the back of our heads, if it doesn't work out, it's no big deal, right? I'll get a divorce, I'll hook up with somebody else, I'll move on, it's no no problem, no big deal. Either we're flippant about marriage on the one side, or or we take it to the other extreme over here where we elevate marriage to such an extreme that it's almost an unhealthy sort of thing, where we, we're, where we would think that our lives are meant to... To be uh, all, about, uh, all about working towards having a happy family and a happy marriage in the here and now, on that little scratch, and that that's what life is all about. And, and can I just say, friends, I, I, I think anytime we take either one of those extremes, that's, they're unbiblical sort of proportions. Neither one of them represents what or who we are made for. If we are only on this planet a number of weeks, and that statistically is what's true, right? If uh, the, the average uh, man lives on this planet about 4,100 weeks. If you're 30 years old, by the way, you only have about 2,600 weeks left. So how about that? If you're older than 30, it was nice knowing you, right? <laughs> but we're, we're on this planet a mere number of weeks and then on to eternity. And so it only makes sense that eternity ought to be reflected in our lives, that eternity ought to be reflected in our marriages. Doesn't it make sense that if God is preparing us to live with him for all eternity, that he might want to have a part of our relationships in the here and now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Is that, a, is that a fair assumption? I, I read uh, part of a fantastic book by uh, Francis and Lisa Chan this week on marriage. If, you're looking for a good book on marriage? I'd recommend it. You and me forever. It's awesome. Uh, but here's what he says. I thought this is a great quote. He says, eternity changes how we enjoy marriage and everything else in life. Eternity changes how we love. It would be unloving to get my wife and kids so focused on this life that they are unprepared for the next. Some Christians emphasize marriage so much that it might lead some to believe that the goal of Christianity is to have a happy marriage. And God becomes only a means to that end. Friends, we are made for more than just a here and now kind of marriage. We're made to have our lives, every part of them, intertwined with the life of God. His purposes and his loves and his desires should become our purposes in our loves, in our desires. It should impact every part of our lives, including our marriages. Last week I read from Ephesians 4 and 5, and we talked a a lot about, right, loving our wives as Christ loved the church and husbands, respect our Wives respecting your husbands and all that kind, of, right? All that kind of stuff. We talked about some great practical uh, kind of stuff there, but I want to go back because I want you to see uh, even just the life of God that gets intertwined even into to Paul. As he's talking about how we are to treat one another in marriage, he gets this all wrapped up with with the life of God sort of intermingling into in, in between the husband and wife relationship. He says this, verse twenty five. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For what purpose? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their, their own selves, their own bodies. Now, I love the way that this passage of Scripture sort of intertwines uh, with Christ, right? It's so much so that it's hard to tell what he's talking to about husband's role in the marriage and, and where it is that Christ sort of intermingles in the midst of that. He says, husbands, love your wives like Christ did, like Christ did to prepare her, his church for eternity, to wash her, to cleanse her, to get her ready to meet Christ face-to-face one day. Love your wives like that, he says, and wives, love your husbands like that. It's an amazing picture. Marriage is meant to be a spiritual union, not just a physical one, not just a uh, whatever. It's not meant to be just a husband and wife, but it's really, it really is intended to be a union between a husband, a wife, and God for a lifetime. It's meant to, our, our marriages are meant to have sort of a, a kind of spiritual intimacy with Christ in the midst of them. Life works best. Marriage works best when we keep it focused on intimacy with God and on living in light of eternity. I mean, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words, right, the, wrote the words "husband loves love your wives" as Christ loved the church. He also wrote some other things, like in First Corinthians. Uh, he writes about marriage, and he was so convinced that that Christ was coming back soon, right? He was so convinced that that our little life on this earth is so short, that our marriages marriages even on this life are so short and compared with eternity, he ends up writing this whole section in 1 Corinthians 7 saying, you know what? If you are able to remain single, where you can be fully devoted to the Lord, where you can be married to the Lord and be all about His plans and purposes, you should do it, he says. He says, no, I'm saying this, not the Lord. He, He makes the clarification. He says, man, if you're able to live that way, do it. He's like, no. Now, if you get married, that's great. But if you're able to, to, to be married to the Lord instead, he's like, that's even better, right? It's good stuff. And he ends up by saying this verse. I think this is fascinating. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. That phrase just sort of kept going through uh through my head this week because I think that's the goal, right? I mean, I think that's what he's saying, man. Everything in this life, our marriages, our homes, our right, everything should be do, should be done in a way that's that's done with undivided devotion to the Lord. I mean, imagine if that was sort of our filter in our lens of saying, man, I want to be all in with Christ. I want to live my life. With him, right? With him saturating every part. When I go to work, I want him to be there. When I come home, I want—I want to know his presence. I want to follow his leadership and his his promptings. I want to come to know Christ more as I learn to love my wife, as I learn to love my husband. I want to, right? I want to grow. And you see what I'm saying? What what if that was our lens? He's saying, man, it's it's worth so much. It'd be if, if you're able to do it on your own and just love God that way, great. He's like, if you get married, do it like this, right? There's a way that we can do marriage in which we can learn to, to have an undivided devotion to God more and more and more. There's a way that we can live in, 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 live in marriage and where marriages can be expressed in, in, as improving our devotion to Jesus. And that's how marriages, That's how relationships are supposed to work. They're supposed to draw us closer to him. They're supposed to be about serving him and learn, learning about his love and letting his love overflow into, into one another's lives and that kind of stuff. There's a way that we can do marriage in which it points us to him and it makes us more like him. When marriage works right, it's a beautiful thing, and it improves our devotion and our love for Christ. I shared last week that that Harvard study, which is uh, which is always fascinating. I've shared it a bunch of times. I think it's just a, a crazy cool study, right? This it measured people who who really uh lived with Christ in the day to day they had a relationship with Christ in the day to day and they said couples that pray together regularly, that read the word together regularly and that worship together regularly, right on Sundays. He said they have a divorce rate of 0.0007 percent or one in twelve hundred and eighty seven. Is <laughs> that a little bit better than average then you think? Right? I mean, it's crazy jaw-dropping, right, as opposed to like one out of two, right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy study. And, and I think part of what that reflects, right, is, is that this stuff works. Our lives work best. Our marriages work best. They are designed to work in ways in which it's three and not just two, right, in which Christ is a part, is, is the central part of our relationships, is the central part of our marriage Can we be honest and say, man, I don't think most of us live this way. I think most of us just sort of do our best. We try to pick up tips and tricks for how to do marriage. This is how you handle conflict. This is how you do communication. This is how you keep the peace in your home. This is how you avoid conflict. This is what you do uh, without ever really uh, putting Christ in the middle. I think we do so to our own detriment. When we miss Christ in our marriage, when we miss Christ in our relationships, it's like a ceiling, right? It's like a ceiling for uh, for how much we can grow. It's life works best when we have proper perspective. When God has the place of leadership and supremacy is the primary focal point in our lives and in our relationships. Listen to how Jesus says this. This is crazy. Uh, And this one is one of those disturbing passages (laughs) that you read sometimes. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anybody comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Is there a gulp in the room? Like, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Okay, let's take a pop quiz here. How many of you think that Jesus is saying that you really uh, that you really should hate those people? Is that what, like hands? No? <laughs> like, right, that's not what he's saying, right? It's, we, we could go back and look at the primary thrust of Jesus' teaching. He says, what are the two main commandments? What does he say? You guys got to Love God, love people, right? So he's not going back and saying, now hate him. Fifth commandment, he says, honor your father and mother. Is he, is he now changing his course? Is he changing the whole shift and saying, oh, I didn't mean it, you know, psych? You know, instead you should hate him. Is that what he's saying? No, no, that is not at all his heart. He's using hyperbole here, right? He's saying your love for God, your love for, should be so much greater, so much broader than your love for anything else that every other relationship pales in comparison that in comparison, it would seem as though you hate your wife, you hate your kids, you hate your parents, because your love for God is so much greater. Now, this doesn't take away from the strength of the statement, it doesn't take away from the shock factor of Jesus' statement, because he's still saying, if you want to be my disciples, if you claim to follow me, Jesus is saying that I want the number one spot in your life. That's how life works best. If your love for me is number one, and there is no other rival's. Right? If if I stand alone. So so the most important person in your home, in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your family, God's saying, it should be me. It should be love me like that. Pursue me like that. If you want to choose between if you have to choose between pleasing somebody in your home, he's saying, it should be me. If you want to learn if you want to know, if you have a disagreement and you wanna you wanna know how to resolve it, you should seek me right follow me follow my wisdom follow my guidance follow my direction and lead right you kind of see what he's saying it's a big deal we should want his approval more than our parents more than our spouses we should desire his good more than our own seek to please him more than our kids or our spouses or even ourselves that's what he's talking about when he says that you should hate your wife or husband or kids or your own life He wants to be preferred above all. Life works best when he is loved above all, when he has the number one spot in your life. And for your good and for my good, he needs to be the leader of every part of our lives. He demands and expects full devotion, hearts that are fully devoted to him. Take up your cross, he says. Die to your will and desires and rights, and instead let him come and live his life through you. It's where the good stuff comes about. That is how we come to life as individuals. It's how we come to life as couples. It's how life works best as Christ is elevated and preferred and involved in a part of all of our lives. Can I just pause for a second and say, man, how's this happening in your life? Would you say that you're doing well in this area? Would you say that Christ has that number one spot in your life, in your marriage? Would, those, would your kids or those people around you, could they look in your windows, right? Could they take a peek at your life and your relationships and say, you know what? There is, another, there is another player here. There is somebody that is leading and directing this thing that is more than just a husband or a wife. We can see the presence of the living God. Could they look in your windows and see you praying together? Could they look in your windows and see you on your knees or on your face seeking God's will together? Crying out for him, searching the scriptures for his will for your life and for your family. What do you think? How, how are you doing on this kind of thing? Are we living our lives? Are we living our marriages in light of eternity? For are we preparing even one another for the moment when we will one day stand before Jesus? And have to give an account for our lives. Are we living for the day that our wives and our husbands and our kids and our friends and those around us can hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? Are we living for him and for his kingdom with such, uh, with such fervor, right? With such fervency, with such an, that undivided focus that it's plain to see in our lives in all honesty, if I'm doing a self-evaluation, I would say uh, Tina and I probably ha- have up and down seasons and uh, moments in this kind of thing. There have been some seasons in our lives and in our marriage where we have consistently been on our knees together. Where we've been praying and seeking out God's will and his face. There have been times of unbelievable kinds of spiritual intimacy and oneness in our, in our marriage and in our souls. Uh, I can remember, even before we were married, uh, just praying together, in, and we were in such a chord that we're, you know, kind of just, the prayer is just woven together. She's praying, and I'm praying, and she's praying. We're, like, finishing each other's sentences, like, in prayer, like, kind of thing, and you could just sense and know God's presence, and you're like, this is awesome. Like, this is as it should be. There's been moments, like, there's been moments where we've been seeking out His plan and His will for, for our lives, and moments when He has spoken, and it's changed the whole trajectory of our family, the course of where we're headed. There have been times where there's been incredible closeness and intimacy in our marriage because Christ had that number one spot and we were drawing close and worshiping and following him. And likewise, there have been some seasons that just aren't that magical. <laughs> some seasons where we're grumpy, some seasons where our own stubbornness and pride has kept us from praying in the same way. Some, some seasons where we've allowed busyness to get in the way uh, of our priority of putting God first in our lives. And so I get that this is hard. I get this is uncomfortable. I get that it's not normal. In fact, it's kind of weird, right, we would probably say. It's very unusual in our culture, and yet I just want to say, man, this is the good stuff. This is where good stuff is found. I remember a funny story. I thought, (coughs) excuse me, that's really nice amplified. You want me to do that again? Sorry, but I remember this uh, being in college. I was a pretty new believer. I remember my pastor uh, <clears throat> in that church telling a story. He's a six-foot-six guy. He's huge, big presence, that kind of stuff. He talks about going in and meeting with an, a, a little old lady, right? She's probably like five feet tall or less, um, and she's probably 80 years old. She was a saint. She'd been a widow for a lot of years, had been, but had been following Jesus, had been faithful. And somehow as they're just kind of having a conversation, he ends up bringing up, he says, why is it that it's so hard for me to pray with my wife? It's like, this is such this is such a challenging thing. And this little old lady, you know, they're sitting there drinking tea, uh, you know, this little lady says, because prayer is more intimate than sex, <laughs> she says. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? There's something that's true about that, isn't it? I mean, because I think, I mean, I talk to husbands and wives all the time. If we're going to talk about spiritual intimacy, how to grow spiritually as a couple, it's not rocket science. Do we know how to do this? It's going to involve prayer. It's going to involve reading the Bible together. It's going to. Sharon, right, about what God's doing in our lives, some of that kind of stuff, submission to Christ, all these kinds of things. It's not hard, but it's hard to do. It's hard to live this stuff out. And I think, I, I hear that story and I'm like, man, I think it's true. It is the most intimate and vulnerable and transparent kind of thing. And I'm not talking about praying that, you know, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. That is not, that is not vulnerable or transparent or anything like that, right? But I'm talking about when you are just, pouring your guts out to God when there is a need and you are on your face and you're just, when, when maybe God's broken you over some sin or some junk and you're just, I mean, completely transparent, to have another human being there and to see you being transparent with God, it's vulnerable, right? It's, it's scary. It's hard to want to invite somebody else in like that. And yet I have to say, man, this is where the good stuff is at. So I get that it's stretching, but it really is best. Friends, spiritual intimacy in marriage and the intertwining sort of of God into our marriages, into our homes, and into our lives, it's where the good stuff is at. It's how life and marriage are meant to be. And I think it's, I think it's just something that all of us need kind of a, a kick in the butt on from time to time. And so we're going to do that. I just want to look uh, for a few minutes at, at uh, a story about um, Isaac and Rebecca, Old Testament couple, um, and I have to say, one of the things I loved about reading the story and studying the story this week is just you see God showing up all over the place, right? And I want you just to see, uh, I, I want you just to see how how he's seeking God, she's seeking God, they're seeking God, and God is just sort of all over this thing, right? All over their marriage. And I'm like, man, there's something just right about it. And so we're gonna read it. I want you to. Um, not going to have too many comments, but a few a few quotes and a few comments to make, and then we'll do some application. It says this: This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abra- Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he married Rebekah. I want you to remember that number. He was forty years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from uh, Paddan Aram, and sister of Laban the Aramean. Listen to this. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Because she was childless and the Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebecca became pregnant The babies jostled each other within her and she said why is this happening to me? And she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her two nations are in your womb And two people from within you will be separated one people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger When the time came for her to give birth uh, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means hairy. Who wouldn't want to have that name, right? <laughs> Why did they name you Harry? Never mind. I can see for myself, right? Like <laughs> after this, his brother came out uh, with his hand grasping Esau's heel, and so, so they named him Jacob, which means he grasps, right, or he grasps the heel. Listen to this. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Now I love uh, just again I love that intermingling of God in their story. I love verse twenty one where Isaac it says, "Praise to the Lord on behalf of his wife." It means literally Isaac presented himself or submitted himself before the Lord for the sake of his wife again and again and again and again and again, offering much more than just words of concern flowing from his mouth. Isaac sought God. He cried out to God. God, would you heal? God, would you open her womb? God, would you give us children? Now again, I told you. I want you to remember that that first verse that said how old he was when they got married. How old was he? And how old was he when Rebecca gave birth? How long was he on his face seeking God's favor on behalf of his wife? Twenty years. Can you imagine? I mean. It, This is, I mean, I I don't know if I explained it well, but I mean, there's this urgency. There's this whole pouring out your heart before the Lord sort of language that's used here. He's just begging God and crying out to God again and again and again and again and again for 20 years. For 20 years, he's, he's praying and God doesn't seem to be answering. For 20 years, he's saying, God, would you bless my wife? Would you give her the desires of, would you, desires of her heart? Would you would you give us kids? I, I read that and I'm like, man, I just, it's convicting, first of all. I'm just like, man, am I praying for my wife like that with that kind of intensity and commitment and longevity even? Am I praying for her blessing like that in a way that I'm, I am placing myself before the Lord on behalf of my wife and for 20 years, like for decades, saying, God, would you pour out your favor? Would you pour out your blessing? Would you would you raise up? Would you bring your kingdom to bear in her? Would you use her and teach her and grow her? Man, it's convicting. I read that and I think, man, I wonder if we're praying for our spouse like that. I wonder if we're praying for our kids like that. I wonder if we're praying for our friends and those around us. Like. I wonder if we're praying for our church like that on our faces before God. And then imagine the joy, by the way, after 20 years of praying. It says, I love it. It says, the Lord heard his prayer. He answered his prayer, opened up her womb, and she, and she gave birth to twins. Imagine the joy. And then the boys grow up. <laughs> but that's a different story. But that, I mean, it's, it's an amazing kind of picture. It's an amazing story here. There's a huge need. There's a huge need going on in their lives. There's a huge woundedness, and there's a weeping, and there's, I mean, I can just imagine for 20 years of infertility, and yet they pray. He prays and prays and prays and prays, and finally the Lord answers. It's a a challenging picture. It's an amazing picture. But again, I wonder if you and I are committed to presenting ourselves before the Lord day in and day out like that, on behalf of our wife, on behalf of our husbands, our kids, or whoever? Are we praying fervently and depending on and crying out to the living God like that for the sake of your spouse? Are you praying for them and with them like that? Prayer, seeking God, it's woven throughout the story and throughout their marriage. How about yours? going on verse 22. I think this is great. So, so there's, they can't have a baby. And so he prays and prays and prays and prays. Well, she gets pregnant finally. And uh, in verse 22, Rebecca is feeling the baby sort of feuding within her. And what's her response? What does she do? Does she phone a friend? Does she call the midwife? Does she whatever, not that there's anything wrong with any of those things, but what's her response? Where does she go? She seeks the Lord, right? She goes to inquire of the Lord, it says, right? She's like, God, what in the world is happening in my stomach, right? What is going on in there? Like, well, there's some sort of of feud going on. What is going on? And so she seeks uh, God's wisdom on this deal. And God speaks. He reveals the future to her, doesn't he, and to to them about what they're going to expect with these kids, about what's going to happen. Uh, And as she asks God, as she inquires of the Lord, the Lord speaks. And do you know how we know that that the Lord spoke to her? Because apparently she talked about it. Because apparently, that was something they did. As they sought the Lord and the Lord spoke, they shared it with one another, which is inevitably how we end up with it written down in this book, right? Because they talked about it. Sometimes, sometimes the path to spiritual intimacy in our marriages, in our lives, involves, yes, first and foremost, praying, seeking the Lord, sometimes on our own, sometimes together. But second of all, it involves talking about it, right? Sharing about it with one another. I ran across a few quotes this week that I thought were great. I'm just going to share some of them. Uh, this one is from uh, a guy by the name of uh, Edward Lee. He wrote a book called Husbands, Wives, and God, and it's great. It says this. It says, it was uh, from her prayer that she and Isaac gained understanding. Oops, go back. It was from her prayer that she and Isaac gained understanding as to what, uh, what raising these two boys held in store for them. It was not a perspective that could have been gained apart from her asking the Lord. Surely a doctor could have told her that she was pregnant with expecting with twins, but only God could explain the intense and contentious nature of the relationships that would exist between these two boys. Likewise in your marriage, there are some things that can be determined through natural human logic, but there's also a wisdom that can only come from God himself. It's a wisdom that allows us to see what we cannot be cannot be seen by natural means. As a couple learns to depend on his wisdom, the wisdom of God in their relationship, they are directed through and around harrowing trials, traps, and temptations. Again, prayer is not a magic potion or mystic incantation composed of words strung together. But when a husband and wife embrace this discipline of asking and seeking and listening, God guides them through, out of, away from traps, decisions, and pitfalls that can damage their relationship. It says, ultimately, bringing about a stronger, more intimate bond between them. Isn't that cool? I just, I I thought it was a great quote, and I'm like, man, I just wonder how much we need this in our lives, how much we need this in our marriage. Do we need Sometimes you just need God's wisdom, right? Sometimes you need more than just what a good plan or good strategies or good tips can be. Sometimes you just need God to show up and to speak and to lead and to direct, to to impart his wisdom to you. And that comes as we seek him, as we pray, as we open up his word and his book and uh, commit to following can only come as we learn to depend on and seek him. I'm going to go on and read just four more verses. Uh, Genesis 26, 1 through 4 says, Then there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar, Gerar or something. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For you and your descendants, I will give these lands, and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. It's the promise that he's passing on. So again, I just want you to go back. So, so when they couldn't have kids, what they do? They prayed. Right? This isn't rocket science, right? When they couldn't have kids, they very good. When, uh, when Rebecca was confused about what was going on, what did she do? Pray. She prayed. She sought the Lord. And now there's a famine going on in the land. And so what do you think they did? Good chance they prayed. And as they prayed, as they sought the Lord, I mean, it's kind of implied here, but God speaks. God shows up again, and he gives them a promise. He speaks to them about who they are, who what their family will be like one day. He speaks of their identity and his promise and his blessing on them. Listen to one more quote from Edward Lee. He says this, during these times, it is the couple's prayer life, their life with God that moves them from the land of famine to the land of plenty It's in those times that God makes his wisdom and direction available to his people, filling their hungry hearts with his bread of life. That same clarity of step-by-step instruction is available today. The the ability to have a clear direction laid out for our marriages, even when your relationship is experiencing a famine. One can only imagine what would have happened, what the consequences would have been if Isaac would have gone down to Egypt, uh, or designed a plan of his own to provide for his family. But the Bible records that they remained in uh, Gerar and, against all odds, prospered a hundredfold, which is uh, which is crazy. My question that I was thinking about this week is: What if God wants to do that in you, in your relationship with Him, in your marriage with Him? What if He wants to bless you in ways that you can't even imagine? What if he wants to speak and direct? What if he wants to bless? What if he wants to raise up? What if he wants to to speak to you? uh, uh, I don't know, of who you are, of his promises to you. What if he he has good plans that he wants to to lead you on an adventure that he has specifically called you and your family to? What What if... God wants to do more? What if he wants to bring about unbelievable spiritual intimacy in your marriage? What if he wants to use you in powerful ways? What if he's speaking and all you have to do is listen? What if he's willing to answer if only you would ask? What if What if on, on the other side of 20 years of asking, what if there's a miraculous, glorifying-to-God sort of act that's going to be jaw-dropping to you and your family? It's going to be a story that's going to be passed down for generations of how the living God was at work in your marriage and in your family. What if those things are available? What if that's the plan that God has for you? Not just of individuals walking with God, but of course individuals walking with God, but even as marriages right pursue spiritual put God first in the midst of that what if what if his design has always been one of husbands and wives on their knees before God what if his what if his design is that husbands and wives opening up his word and saying God would you speak would you direct would you lead and as much as we can we want to follow right we we want to follow we want to live in undivided devotion to you what if what if God has stuff in store for you that you can't even imagine And it's available if only we would pause, and we would pray, and we would listen, and we would obey. I just find myself wondering, man, what God might have in store for our marriages. Is there benefits? Yeah. I mean, that Harvard study, right? Is there benefits? Yeah. Couples that are led by God like that, I bet don't get divorced very often, right? Of course, there's there's natural benefits. Because... Because it's I mean, cause God's involved in it, because it's better than anything else in this world. There's all that kind of stuff. But what if we just what if God has something special in store for you guys? If you would just step into that. What if He has something special in store for all of us? If we would if we were to just step into it this morning. Friends, I don't know where you're at with God today. I don't know specifically what he might be saying to you. It could be that you are here today and and, and in all honesty, even individually talking about seeking God and having a relationship with God and a God that speaks and leads and directs this is new for you maybe it's pegging your weird meter a little bit you're like I don't know about this kind of thing uh, you know and maybe if that's you first of all we're glad you're here this is a good place for you to be um, but second of all I wonder if maybe the living God is speaking to you today and saying, you know what why don't you just test me out on this a little bit why don't you just open up my word? Why don't you just open up my book? Get to know who I am. I always encourage people to start reading in Luke or in John. It's the, the, their biographies written about Jesus, right? About the life of Jesus, of the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the plans that He has for us. Maybe you start reading that, and you just you just pray a little bit individually, and you say, God, would you teach me, and would you show me what what kind of relationship you have for me? What what, what you want my life to be like? And then listen as you open up his book. Read a chapter a day, just a little bit. Check him out and see if life with God is not infinitely better than any, any other way of life, right? If it's not infinitely better, if it's, if it's not even the stuff that your soul is craving. In him is life and love and fullness like you can't even imagine. So maybe, maybe that's how God's speaking to you today. Maybe like uh, Rebecca and Isaac, maybe there's something, there's something huge Going on in your family today. Maybe there's a pain or a hurt. Maybe there's a, a need that is so significant. You're like, man, I'm not even sure God can do that. I'm not even sure. We might just be destined to this. Maybe, maybe you've been waiting on Him already for years. You're like, I, I think God's absent. And I wonder if today God isn't nudging you and saying, man, would you devote yourself? In, in, in that undivided pursuit that undivided commitment to God would you commit again just to, to bowing before him and praying lifting up those things that you are in need of would you pray on behalf of your spouse that way would you pray for your husband would you pray for your wife with those sort of big God things that you're like I'm not even sure I don't even know how it's possible would you start praying and say God would you bust in and work in the situation that seems hopeless? Would you bring hope in the situation where we need healing? Would you heal in the situation where we need provision? Would you provide? God, only you can do it. Without you, we're toast. But with you, all things are possible. So would you answer our prayer? Would you start seeking and seeking yourself and putting yourself before him day in and day out? For the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your family, for the sake of your spouse, and even for your own needs. Maybe you're here today, and if you're honest, you'd say, man, spiritual intimacy, <laughs> not really a thing in our family. I don't even, it's scary. I don't even know how to do that. I'm not even sure what that would look like. And if that's you, I wonder if maybe God's just nudging you today saying, you know what? I get that it's scary, right? I get that, you know, prayer is more intimate than sex, right? I get I get some of that kind of stuff. But I wonder if you'd be willing to take a risk and just start praying with your spouse. just uh, e- Even just sometimes, right? Even just just starting to just introduce prayer into your family, into your home, into your marriage. And where you would learn to kind of pray with each other that way. Just lifting up. God, is it scary? Yes, but I'll tell you what, where the good stuff is at, where where the realm of faith is, where the realm of God working is, is always going to involve taking a step of faith. It's going to involve stretching ourselves and stepping out into the unknown. Would you take some risks? Would you take some steps like that and put God again in that number one spot in your marriage, in your life, in your relationships? Would you pray together? And then I got one more thing on this. I was thinking this week about the Deuteronomy passage because. I love this, not just seeking God on our own, not just praying together even but even talking about and sharing about what he 's doing in your life, how he 's leading you, how he 's speaking, right This is uh, deuteronomy it 's right, 're right on the edge of the Jordan River. This is the people of God Old Testament they 're giving him the law one more time about how life works best in relationship with God, and he says, this hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This might sound familiar by the way. Jesus quotes it. He says you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, right? These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Listen to this. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Talk about them. He's saying, talk about them. Tie him as symbols on your hands and buy him up, bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. He's saying, talk about it everywhere. Put, put his word and his truth. Talk about what he's doing, what he's teaching you, how he's leading you, how he's shaping you, how he's changing you. Talk about it all the time. Some some of us, we're just not even comfortable talking about that kind of stuff. That's a stretch for us. And I'll tell you what, the path to spiritual intimacy, to the good stuff in life, it It comes to some degree as we just talk about and start start sharing our hearts about what we feel like God's saying to us, to our spouses, to our kids about um, kind of fostering that spiritual intimacy in our marriages involves talking about what God's doing. Is there something that you've been asking God for? Then share it. Is there something that you felt like God talk to you about it, church, then share it, right? Did, did you read something in the Bible today that, that you feel like God was just hitting home in you? If so, share it, right? If you're convicted about a sin or some area in your life that seems out of control, would you share it? Would you talk about it? Would you come up with a plan together about how to obey what God's telling you to do and then share it? Well, friends, I, I don't know how God is speaking to you today. I'm not sure what kind of plans he has in store for you as you start walking the path towards spiritual intimacy. It's less of a formula and more of a relationship. It's, it's less science and more art, but it, it involves talking to God together, right? It involves seeking him and praying for one another. It involves sharing what he's doing. It involves opening up his book and I, I don't know what God's prompting you to do, my, but my encouragement would, is, What would you take a step in that direction? Let's close in prayer. God, I just want to pray for, uh, for marriages here. I want to pray for relationships. I want to pray for parents and for kids and for uh, all of us, no matter where we're at. God, I, it is so easy for us to get swept away by the tyranny, the urgent, and by the busy, and by just plain old regular life that we forget the most important stuff. And so today, God, would you help us to pause? Would you help us to seek you and to, to lift our voices to you? Even in marriages and in our homes, God, would you, would you uh, I don't know, help us to make it a priority to pray together, to, to seek your face for our homes and for our marriages? Would you pour out your... Your spirit in a fresh way? Would you pour out your peace and your presence in a way that we can't miss you? Would you lead and direct? Would you fill? Would you ch- challenge and convict where necessary? Would you uh, just make your presence and your purpose and your plans and your love and your peace uh, just full on in our homes and in our lives? Teach us to follow you, to live in right relationship with you. And God, may you just surround us. May you be intertwined in our relationships. May, you, uh, may your voice and your face be the one that we listen for and look to the most. May we seek your approval. May we be filled with your love. And God, as a result, may you be glorified and may, uh, may you be reflected. May your goodness and your plans and your purposes and your love be seen in us. for your glory and for our good. And we just pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in Jesus' name. Amen.